Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me uh, today. And I want to begin by letting you know we have a wonderful ministry called Hickory Ridge Academy. And uh, we have an academy for children from birth up through K-5 through kindergarten. And uh, we are always looking for good people to work with us. And I want to talk about the school and say, hey, if you need to put your child in our school, we'd love to have them. But unfortunately, all of our classes are pretty full at this moment, but we're always looking for good staff, okay? So if you're interested, give me a call. Call the church office, 421-7500, and ask for Sherry or ask for Jeannie, and uh, they'll get you hooked up and uh, let you know all about our school. We are unashamedly Christian, and uh, we hold to a biblical worldview, so love to have you come join our team if the Lord so leads you, okay? Uh, Well, today, tomorrow, and Friday, the next three days, I want to talk to you on the seven deadly sins. Now, I thought it was pretty humorous. You know, we always say that there's an app for everything, right? Well, there's actually an app for the seven deadly sins. Yes, even the deadly sins have an app. And these are the classical teachings of Christian morality. And so, for example, lust. Some would say the app for lust is Tinder. Uh, and then gluttony. If that's your sin, I know notice we're talking about this right after Thanksgiving and right around the holiday season. But um, for gluttony, uh, the app would be Yelp. And uh, if you're a person that is um, greedy and, uh, and always wanting to make a whole lot of money, then the app is LinkedIn. And then if you're um, lazy or uh, we would use the word sloth, then Netflix would be for you, right? You can watch hour after hour after hour using the app of Netflix. And then the sin of wrath or anger. You could use that for Twitter, right? Twitter is where you just dump out all your anger. And then if your deadly sin is envy, well, go to Facebook and you can become real envious of who's traveling and who's showing off uh, their latest boat or their latest car or, or their latest purchase, right? So Facebook could be a great place if you are battling with envy. And then pride. We could say, well, pride would be Instagram. That's where I show my pictures instantly. So anyway, I thought that was pretty clever. The source is Seven Deadly Sins. It was actually posted on Facebook by Todd Brewer back in 2021, okay? So today we're going to look at this subject of the seven deadly sins. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning of verse 16. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that are swift in running to mischief, a false balance that speaks lies, and then he who sows discord among the brethren. Now, we've heard about the seven deadly sins, whether it be in pop culture or even from the pulpit. But what exactly are these sins? And are they really deadly? And how are we to define each and every one of them? Well, we're going to dive into these questions and more as we take a comprehensive look into the seven deadly sins. But let's get an overview, first of all, and get a little history as to these deadly sins. Uh, We need to establish the list of the seven deadly sins, and then we're going to dissect each and every one of them, and then we're going to be able to know what it means and what it looks like. 
So the most famous faces of sin are the seven deadly sins, and here they are. Pride, envy, wrath, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. Now, this list is centuries old. It's found as frequently in literature and pop culture as it is in theology books and in devotional books. As a matter of fact, Dante surveyed these sins in his tours through hell and purgatory in the Divine Comedy. And so these seven deadly sins are sins that we must take seriously. Now, Scripture doesn't outright list these seven sins just for the sake of listing them. There's a reason why they are there. And these particular vices are more sinister than other sins. Pride. Now, Augustine called this first sin uh, the sin of all sins, right? It is a sin that caused Satan to rebel in eternity past and to be kicked out of heaven. You know, taking with him a third of his fellow pride-filled angelic beings. There are several words in the Old Testament, Hebrew, and in the New Testament in Greek that are translated into English as pride. Here's a few examples. Haughty, pride-filled, arrogant. Now, for the sake of the message today, pride, if it's attributed to God, it's good. So not all pride is bad. Not all pride is evil. When pride is attributed to man, however, it is sin. Now, maybe something to consider is in the English language, we often attribute what we might call godly pride to a state of mind or a human response that is more properly intended to convey gratitude, right? Like, I'm so proud of your accomplishments, okay? So I get that, right? When a parent sees their children obey, they're proud of their children, right? We stand for the national anthem because we're proud of our nation. Of course, these and other forms of godly pride or good pride are okay. It's a sense of gratitude. It's a sense of admiration. But when the Bible talks about pride in in, uh, this particular context in Proverbs chapter 6, it's talking about pride that can take us down, pride that can destroy us. In his book, Flight 232, it's a story of disaster and survival. Mr. Gonzalez tells the story of United Airlines Flight 232 that crashed in Iowa way back in July 19, uh, 1989. In that particular crash, 184 of the 296 passengers and crew lived, but the losses could have been much worse if United Airlines hadn't learned some crucial lessons from an earlier tragedy. The earlier crash occurred December 28, 1978. It was United Flight 173 was flying from New York to Portland, Oregon. When it went down into a wooden area, a suburb six miles from the airport, some reason the plane had a malfunction of the landing gear on approach, so the captain began circling the area to make sure that the gear was down. Well, preoccupied with his landing gear, captain ignored the crew's warnings that fuel was getting dangerously 
low. When the engines began quitting, they figured out the problem. The plane crashed, killing 10 passengers and seriously wounding 23. So Mr. Gonzalez writes that those at United Airlines and the National Transportation Safety Board believed that the military backgrounds of most airline pilots at that time contributed to the crash. You see, the captain of the ship was supreme, and the other members of the crew were expected to defer to him and to keep their mouths shut. It was a military tradition going back hundreds of years. Now, this crash had a direct bearing on the fate of United Flight 232, because after the crash of United Flight 173, the NTSB recommended retraining flight crews in what came to be known as cockpit or crew resource management, CRM. United Airlines pioneered this training in which captains were taught to listen to their crews and the members of their crews were taught to be assertive if they thought that a hazardous condition was developing. In other words, the captain would no longer be filled with pride. He would listen to the crew, and he would listen to them, especially if they warned him of hazardous conditions. He wouldn't write them off and say, well, I'm the captain. Uh, You know, shut your mouth and do what I say. He would be much more sensitive to those who were on his crew. You see, pride can cause a whole lot of problems in our lives. There's a lot of verses that talk about pride. The prideful person is one who refuses to listen to anybody else, creates an intimidating environment where nobody else can question them. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 29.23, Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. James 4.6 tells us that God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Oh, do you want more of God's grace? Don't sin more. Don't be filled more with pride. God gives more grace to those who are humble. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, the Bible says that pride is a deadly sin because it leads to self-destruction. If we're going to overcome self-destruction, we must humble ourselves. Last night in my small group, we had a wonderful study in the book of Micah. And I love how Micah 6.8 talks about this subject of pride. What does the Lord require of you but to walk humbly, to love justice and to love mercy, and to walk humbly before the Lord your God? You see, pride is what took down the, the angels, a third of the angels. Pride is what took down Lucifer, the son of the morning star. It doesn't matter how strong you are. If you are filled with pride, one day it will be 
your undoing. Well, the second of the deadly sins is the sin of envy. Envy is that feeling negatively toward another person because they have what you want or they have what you would like to be. It arises from this, um, this, this scarcity mentality that involves that believing that there's not enough blessings to go around and that God is stingy and he's withholding from you. Now, envy is a little bit different than jealousy. Well, envy's eyes are glaring at a person who has received the blessing that it wishes to have. Jealousy's eyes are lasered in on what it currently has, feeling fearful that precious things will be taken away. Now, both can be going on in the same person at the same time, but the focus is different. Now, maybe a good example of this would come uh, from the Bible, right? A vivid example of envy is in 1 Kings chapter 3. And I love this story. You had two women who were living in the same house. They both had babies. They both had babies about the same age. One of the babies died at night. Nobody witnessed it. Apparently, one of the mothers rolled over and her baby died, perhaps. Both women claiming that the living baby was hers. And so they came to Solomon to settle the dispute. In order to force the truth into the open, Solomon acts as if he would cut the baby in two with a sword and give half to each woman. Well, the woman who was true to the baby's mother was horrified and said, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the living mother brazenly said, Neither I nor you shall have the baby. Cut him in two. You see, the lying woman's reaction is a perfect illustration of how envy is a life killer. You know, when I think about envy, envy is probably the least fun sin. You know, some sins are kind of fun, right? The Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season, but after this, the judgment, envy never seems to be that enjoyable. There is an essay that was written by Joseph Epstein, and he writes, of the seven deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. You see, there's a lot of research to back up this statement. Psychologists have found that envy decreases life's satisfaction. It actually depresses our well-being. Envy is positively correlated with depression, and it causes us to have hostility. And when we look at envy, it can actually make us sick. Recent work suggests that envy can help explain our complicated relationship with social media. It often leads to destructive social comparison, which decreases our happiness. Mr. Epstein goes on to say that envy makes us look ungenerous, mean, and small-hearted. No wonder nobody wants to own up to his own unhappy sin. You see, the Bible is very clear that we should not envy. You know, I used to think that those who envied somebody else were those who didn't have a whole lot of talent. 
But that's really jealousy. Linda Ronstadt shares her struggle with envy. In her book, she has a book entitled Simple Dreams. And here we have a highly professional, 11-time Grammy Award singer recalling her battle with envy. She says, my first reaction to Emmy Lou Harris was conflicted. She said, first, I loved her singing wildly. But second, in my opinion, she was doing what I was trying to do, only a whole lot better. Then came a split-second decision that I made that affected the way I listened to and enjoyed music for the rest of my life. I thought that if I allowed myself to become envious of Emmy, it would be painful to listen to her. I would deny myself the pleasure of it if I simply surrounded or surrendered to loving what she did. I could take my rightful place among the other drooling Emmy Lou fans. And then maybe, just maybe, I might be able to sing with her. I surrendered. Well, you know, Linda went on to not only sing with Emmy, but also record three award winning albums with her and with Dolly Parton as a trio. You see, when it comes to envy, nobody wins until we finally surrender and give up our envy. That is when we are given victory. Well, we've covered a whole lot of ground already, just talking about pride and talking about envy. But let me get into the third deadly sin uh, that will cause us to be uh, separated from the people that we love. And the third deadly sin is the sin of wrath or the sin of uncontrolled anger. Now, wrath transcends anger. Now, it's possible that you could be angry and sin not. The Bible is very clear about that. It's possible to be angry and to keep our feelings and our emotions in line so that we may respond properly. Anger in and of itself is an emotion that when it's properly used is actually a good thing. Sometimes I've discovered in my life, I've got to get good and angry about something before I'll do something. Uh, And before I, I will correct something that needs to be corrected. And maybe that's how you've discovered God brings about change in your life. Wrath is different than anger. When we become to the point where our anger degenerates to wrath. Our intentions turn to hurt, bringing pain to those who have hurt us. Well, anger in and of itself isn't a sin. Out of control, anger and hate leads to wrath, and that is a sin. When wrath begins to take over, we forget all about forgiveness. We take vengeance upon ourselves. We forget about a very important passage in the book of Romans, Romans 12, 19. Paul writes, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, when we are filled with wrath, filled with rage, we will avenge ourselves. We will pay back against somebody. And God says, let me do that for you. When I think about wrath and I think about out-of-control rage, I think about road rage. Do you know that two and three drivers 
as they're driving down the road have some kind of a weapon, whether it be a firearm or a baseball bat, two out of three drivers on the highway today have a weapon. A speeding car can be a deadly weapon all by itself. But a new survey finds that many Americans make sure that they're armed when they get behind the wheel. A poll of 1,000 U.S. residents finds that a staggering 65% of all drivers keep a weapon in their vehicle in case they need to defend themselves during a road rage incident. The most common weapon that drivers keep is a hidden knife. 50% of those who carry some kind of weapon in their car say, my weapon of choice is a knife. Followed by pepper spray, 45%. However, 40% admit that they carry a gun with them on the road. Other weapons American drivers have on the, also would include tire irons and baseball bats and hockey sticks and tasers and uh, lacrosse sticks. Well, I'm not here to tell you not to have a weapon in your vehicle. It might be a wise thing to do in this day and age that we're living in. My concern is why is it that we are so filled with rage? As for which cars are occupied by drivers who are most likely to get heated on the road? It's amazing that they even study these things, right? What kind of cars do those who are prone to have road rage tend to drive? Well, according to these stats, these three cars are the most likely to have a dangerous weapon and to be driven by somebody who has road rage. Now, before I give you these three, just because you drive one of these vehicles, I am not implying that you battle road rage. But the stats show that those who drive BMWs, Hyundais, and Mercedes are the most likely to keep a dangerous weapon in their car. So what do we mean when we're talking about road rage? This wrath, this anger that is out of control. Well, these actions include certain behavior. When a person is overcome with road rage, 40% are going to be speeding. 28% Uh, are going to be honking rudely. 26% will be doing brake checking to another driver. 24% will have an an angry hand gesture. 23% will roll down the window and start yelling. However, things can get quickly out of control, leading some drivers to even get more aggressive. When you are, uh, are overcome with road rage and the wrath overtakes you, 20% say they will chase or race other cars. 16% say they're cut off vehicles on purpose. 16% say they're going to get behind a car and they're going to they're tailgate. And 4% says they're going to take out their weapon and they're going to point it at a fellow driver. Wrath is considered one of the deadly sins that God hates. The psalmist says, cease from anger, forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. James 1.20, the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. 
Proverbs 29, 11. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Matthew 26, 52. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Well, thank you so much for joining me today as we have looked at a few of the deadly sins that are given to us in Proverbs chapter 16. Tomorrow, we're going to continue on our list. My prayer is that as you look at this list and those areas that you are struggling with, whether it be pride, whether it be envy, whether it be wrath, that God will give you victory in that area of your life. The Bible tells us that we should confess our sins one to another. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have a wonderful ministry that can help you overcome your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. It's called Celebrate Recovery. Why don't you come join me, Hickory Ridge Community Church, this Sunday night, 6 o'clock p.m. for Celebrate Recovery. God will help you have victory in your life. Well, join me tomorrow for part two on the seven deadly sins. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.